I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Today we are talking about unity, but not the stamped out cookie cutter kind that's popular in this world and in cults. Not that, that's uniformity. We're talking about the unique, unique unity of distinctly different beings joining together as in one body. And that's called harmony. But before we address that, first I want you to answer this. Is God too merciful? It's a funny question. I like this question though. Well, I mean, like, he's God, right? He's God. Of course not. He's just the right amount of mercy. But is that what you truly believe? You really, really believe that? Is that how you act? Are you sure that you don't want a little bit more fire and brimstone for some of your enemies? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that just kind of get us all on the same page? You know, for God, just a little bit sooner. You know, shouldn't God just weed out those others who <laughs> are getting in the way? You ever feel like that? Bruce does, I heard him. <laughs> I know. For that setup, that's all this was, we got him. <laughs> no, but I mean, we do, right, we do. Be honest with yourself, be honest with yourself. Do you ever feel like that? You're not alone, you got Bruce, but also, <laughs> that's why Jonah, that's why Jonah fled instead of heading to Nineveh to warn the wicked, and he admits it in scripture, so it's for everyone to read. God has compassion or God had compassion, and Jonah was greatly displeased. Oh, I knew, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's gotta be the funniest insult in the Bible, right, of all time. Stinking perfect God at it again, loving everyone. But it's funny, because Jonah sure understood and appreciated that mercy when he was inside that holy mackerel, right? Because you see, we, we all, we get frustrated with God's merciful nature towards others until we need it, right? And as soon as we need it, then it makes all the sense in the world. Still though, even then, we often desire to direct God's wrath you know, convince him who, who we think needs a really good smiting now and again, right? That's like, we think that's our place. We want to play God because God won't play favorites. That's no fun for us. But that's where things go wrong. Right there, that's where things go wrong a lot because God alone can judge rightly, not us. Because God alone can see the truth beneath both sides of every story, right? It says right here, for the word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Wow. He sees everything. You know how he does it? He's got someone on the inside of you. It's called the conscience. It's the pre-installed lie detector who reports the real reasons for doing what you did. We all got one, it's in there. But when we, when we judge someone's intentions, we presume to know their heart 
and judge their conscience. And that's crazy. Assuming, assuming that kind of authority is absolutely nuts because I don't know about you, but I struggle to understand my own. My heart and conscience are still a mystery to me. I mean, after all, as natural-born sinners, we are all experts at ignoring those voices, huh? I'm real good at it, guys. I teach a master's class. It's really... And I know this. I know that we, we are really good at this because I myself, I worked, I worked as a judge for 10 years before I was disbarred. <laughs> at the Brown Lantern Ale House, yes. And nightly, as I was working as a judge, I would have to judge people's honesty, their ability, their intentions in order to keep harmony in the bar and on the roads as well. But I'll tell you right now, it was guesswork at best because I'm human and as a human, it is always impossible to really know. You cannot know, you cannot see underneath those stories, you just can't. So just, just believing, just believing that we have the authority to judge the conscience proves how unqualified we are because that idea could not be more backward and upside down. It's the conscience who is given authority to judge us as an impartial witness to the thoughts and attitudes of the heart that is presented in our case before God. That is how it works. And Paul explains this right here. He says, uh, they, in this case, it's the Gentiles, they show that the work of the law is written in their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Okay. Therefore, it's the conscience that matters in those disputable matters. That's it. That's what we were talking about last week. Bruce is talking about those disputable matters where it's, that's tricky. Well, here's, let's make it untricky. The conscience is what matters in those disputable matters. It testifies about the posture of your heart by sharing what you thought and what you did. That's all it presents. It doesn't try and spin it. It's not making a big argument. It just gives the facts. What you thought and what you did. Put those together. That's all God needs to judge you. And while that's happening, while your conscience is speaking, this this silences you, silences yourself, serving excuses, your explanations, and all of your extenuating circumstances. Wait, wait, I gotta, go. there's a reason for, no, no, shh, not your turn, conscience is talking. So, if there's a disputable matter that is debatably allowable among believers, like having a drink, let's say, at a bar, perhaps. Let's say the brown lantern served by your favorite handsome bartender, yours truly, maybe. And let's say this happened a few years ago, because it did for some of you. Mm -hmm. And you think, you think in that moment, you think the drink is prohibited. Well, you can fall into sin in two ways regarding others. One, condemning them for doing what they believe is allowed. Or two, joining them in violation of what you believe. Okay, that's, that's where it falls apart. Now, if you believe the drink is totally allowed, totally allowable, you can also fall into sin in two ways regarding others. Everybody's included. We got lots of ways to fall into sin, guys. Don't worry. You can do it two ways. This, you can condescend them. 
as ignorant in what they believe, or two, you can persuade them to join you and violate what they believe. Lots of ways to get it wrong. And this is because of what sin is. Here's a very simple definition. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. But if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. That's it. We can, we can sin. We're good at it too, guys. We can sin by what we do or we can sin by what we don't. Which is why there must be a unity between our actions and our beliefs. If our conscience is ever going to let us off the hook, it's going to testify about where your heart was and what you did. You got to get that harmony between those two things. And that individual internal unity and, and harmony, that's called integrity, honesty. And it should be, it should be step number one in our walk of faith as Christians. But here's where we get tripped up on step one. Here's where we get tripped up. Each step of the same walk looks different in each other believer's life. Because, brace yourself, we're different. <laughs> Can you believe it? Everybody's walk looks different because we're different. So at least we got that in common, right? We all know what it's like to be different. We are a congregation of weirdos, right? Every single one of us. We are all different in our placement, where we are. We're different in our perspective, you know, how we see things. And we are different in our personality. All of us, every single one of us, we are united in that way as all being different. We are the unique. That's what we are. And I like this, Dr. Gordon Alport, a pioneering psychologist in trait theory, compiled a list of 4,504 personality traits, different personality traits, like, like followers and leaders. We got planners and drifters. We got organized and disorganized. And if you're like me, you're checking which one you are on those right now, and I'm a disorganized mess. Anyway, uh, disorganized, nervous and calm, impulsive and controlled, serious and humorous and structured and spontaneous. And with his 4,500 traits that he, he put together, there are more combinations of those traits than all the humans that ever existed ever. It, except for maybe me and the doc, who might be the same guy. Right? I, this was weirded me out. Bruce pointed it out to me, and I went, oh, that's my future. I said, on the timeline, I think I'm living right between those two guys right now. That's me. I got the glasses now, but I have a little hair left. I don't, anyway, it's disturbing. So... So this applies to everyone but me and the doc, all right? The two of us might be the same guy. Anyway, so then, knowing this, knowing that God deliberately designed differences, he did deliberately, on purpose, we must resist the temptation to use our unique personality traits and our personal preferences as a gauge for one another. This is how I am, here's my combination, and I'm gonna measure you by that. Don't do that. You are unique, you are different. Remember, our responsibility is to unity, right? Not uniformity. And unity is appreciating how all parts make one body. And uniformity is demanding that everyone be an eyeball, right? That's not a body. That's not a body. It's all the parts put together. And if you're in favor of that, then just go ahead and say, I didn't think so. 
didn't think so. Again, that type of, that uniformity, right? Everything being the same, same piece, same part. That's how unity works in the world and in cults. That's why we all rush out and buy the same top or the same whatever. We, that's cultish behavior. We're trying to be uniform. But ours, ours, what we're called to in the church and beyond, ours is a unique unity of, un, of unified uniquenesses. Say that five times fast. <laughs> Unique unity of unified uniquenesses, every single one of us coming together. You know, if, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged for unity, the unique parts in the body. Every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one uniform part, where would the united body be? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be. We are all purposely wired different to complement each other and help one another so that we can grow into the fullness of Christ as his body, right? Preach it. I'm saying, I'm saying, this is us. And conflicts, now this is funny because this is all these parts coming together for one body, it can be difficult, right? We all know that <laughs> more now than ever. And conflicts that arise because of that conflicts are just the growing pains of God arranging us, right? Saying, look, I'm sorry, buddy, you're not a nose, you're an ear. You're not an eye, you're this. Noah, ooh, I don't know where you go. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> He's finding a place for me. The, this body might have warts, I don't know. Anyway. But these conflicts, they're good. They're good for that, right? This is, they're, just, they're the growing pains of God arranging us, moving us around, putting us where we're supposed to be, and they are not something to run from or snuff out like we want to do. They're something to lean into and to learn from. Maybe, maybe we've all read this proverb, I certainly hope, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's how it works down here. God uses conflict. He doesn't waste anything, but he uses conflict a lot. He uses conflict to uncover sinful attitudes and habits in each of our lives, every single one of us, because conflict has this magical property. Conflict breaks down appearances. It reveals what you're really made of, right? Fire, that's what it does. It breaks it down, shows you what you're made of. Once you see what you're made of, it also reveals where you really belong. Oh, I'm a nose. I go here. Oh, I'm a bartender. I go here. <laughs> Wherever you are. But you have to come to grips with who you really are so you can find out where you really belong. Fingers are lying if they're trying to be noses, and it holds up the whole rest of the body. Everybody's got to find their place. We've got to be in order or out of order, right? When we're squeezed through this conflict, Sinful characteristics are brought to the surface. You can't ignore them so much, right? These sinful characters are brought to the surface, and, and it's great because if you want to gauge how you're growing in Christ, just watch how you handle conflict. Go read your message history. 
see how you've handled conflict. That's where you can see, like, if the transformation is really, really happening, are you easy for God to move, to put you into the place he wants you to be, to be the person that he designed you to be? Are you easy to move, bump, bump, bump? Or do you just refuse to budge? He just keeps knocking and you keep fighting back. Better be honest. And if you're honest right here, if you're honest about how that relationship works, it's great because you actually get a preview of what the conscience is gonna be testifying before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's what he's gonna present, so you can beat him to the punch. Anytime you wanna know how that day of judgment's gonna go, ask yourself the same questions of what the conscience is gonna say. What did I do? Why did I do it? Where was my heart? That's it. That conflict is good. You see, it's, it's because our father wants kids. He doesn't want clones. He created us to be different, on purpose. Different from one another, each one of us. But the same in our aim. That's it. That's the challenge. That's it. That's the crux of everything right there. Different from one another, but same in our aim. And it really is a challenge. It's a really, really difficult challenge for uniquely created beings to unite, to come together. And God designed life that way on purpose because there's a, it does a lot of things. This conflict does a lot of things. But specifically also different people sharing the same space forces us to find common ground and settle those differences, work them out or die trying. But that's it. We're gonna work it out or die. And I had a friend once who used the same principle with his kids, I thought it was brilliant. Whenever they started fighting, he didn't just join in and start yelling and screaming like, like I would. He just, he, he stopped and he just got out the big shirt and the kids knew what that meant. They'd both have to wear it. <laughs> They'd both have to wear it until the fighting stopped. And I thought that is brilliant. Do they make one for marriages? <laughs> And if not, Shark Tank copyright right now, I'm, that's mine, okay. But I, it's a brilliant idea, right? Because the big shirt taught you something really fast. Harmony with others is always in my best interest. And just like harmony within myself, like that integrity, we must pull ourselves together or we're gonna rip ourselves apart. It's just that simple. And that's why Paul says what we've been reading here, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Yes, every effort, make every effort. Now Bruce read this scripture multiple times a couple of weeks ago and we really unpacked it, but he missed a couple things. Sorry, Bruce. That's true. That's true. It's, it's been known to happen, believe it or not. Uh, but yeah, he talked a lot about these, what these efforts look like and I think that's great and it's important. We could go on about that forever and ever. But it sure sounds like the bond of peace there is the key to their success, how effective they are. So what is it? What is that? Well, I'll tell you right now. Or rather, Paul will, because it goes like this. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly, you know, down here things. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, here's the, 
the important part, and over all these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, over all these virtues, put on love. Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, not uniformity. They all come together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ through this bond of Christ-like love rule in your hearts because that's where it'll matter most when it matters most. So surprise, surprise, love is the bond that makes the way for the peace of Christ. The bond of peace is love. And you wear it, you wear it. Because here's the deal, if you're a Christian, you're already wearing the big shirt and it's either a bond of frustration and division, like the two kids we saw earlier, or it's a bond of peace and unity. It's up to you. The deciding factor of what that shirt is, is just whether or not you also put on a layer of love. That's it. I loved, I loved last week's picture of others as the crown of life. This picture, oh, I thought that was so good. I love this picture of others as the crown of life and wearing them as our royal mark. Now that, right there, that's how you put on Christ-like love, right? But do you know how, you know how we get our, our maker's royal mark? Keep the royal law. Keep the royal law that's found in scripture, which is, say it with me, love your neighbor as yourself. I am not, I'm not bringing anything new out here today. I'm just saying, look, this is the stuff we know. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it takes. Otherwise, you're just a royal pain. Remember, he's the potter and we're the clay. And our maker's mark is mercy, not condemnation. No matter how much you want it to be, it is not. It is mercy. It's not condemnation, not condescension. After all, how can I love you as I love me if I deny you mercy, but I demand it for me? I can't. It's a two-way street, mercy for mercy. I can't do it without dishonoring God's royal law and his royal rule in my heart. They go hand in hand. So why then, right? Why, why do we do it? Why are we so quick to judge the hearts we know that we can't fully know? We've established that we can't, why do we, why do we want to? Well, resisting judging the only heart that we know that we absolutely can. We're told, we're urged, we're shown. Look inside, not out there. Why? Do we, why? You know why. I know why. I suppose we all do. It's just that pointing out, pointing out another's faults and judging their conscience sure makes us feel less guilty about our own. Right? That's it. Focusing on others enables us to avoid examining ourselves. Whew, true, true. Because that allows us to hold on to our sin and a false sense of self-respect. You hear that? That's what we want to do. Well, that's why I need to do it. I want to hold on to that sin and that false sense of self-respect. Why? Because otherwise we'd have to be humble. We'd have to admit we're wrong, right? Ooh. That's no good. That's no fun. So we don't do that. Instead, we, do, we label their sins while we relabel ours, right? I'm not critical. I'm concerned. I'm not lazy. 
I'm laid back, right? Hey, I'm not negative. I'm realistic. It's totally different. I'm not unreliable. I'm flexible, right? I go with the flow. I don't gossip. I share. <laughs> because I care. Now she, on the other hand, whoa, well, she's a critical, lazy, negative, unreliable gossip. <laughs> the worst. And there is nothing so delicious as the taste of gossip. Uh-oh. But Satan is the slanderer. He's called the slanderer, Diablos. Don't you ever assist him. Why? You already have work to do for a much better boss. You've got your assignment. And how absurd is it? How absurd to call Jesus our Lord and then impatiently lash out at fellow believers and family members who are simply just not as wise or mature or considerate as you. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change us. It is our job to pray, pray for, support, and encourage each other. And that right there, that's the master's command and the merciful mark of our maker. And besides, this world has enough discouragers without any of our help. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray, guys. Father God, we love you and we worship you and we are eternally grateful for the mercy you give to each of us in everything that we do and everything that we don't. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you move our hearts and draw us closer to each other, especially when we're working to rip ourselves apart and Lord Jesus, we praise you for your word working through our conscience as you arrange and unite all of us in love as one holy body. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you. Amen.